We don't got past formalities. We don't been into worship. We're in the presence of the Lord right now. Amen. We should be thanking God for the privilege to be in his presence once again this day. Amen. Church, we got to get out of the rut that we're in. I'm telling you, God needs to shake this place. If my arm could reach that wall and reach that wall, if I had the strength to pick this place up, I'd literally shake it. I don't have, but God has, and God's here today to shake this place and get us out of this rut that we're in. He's a great big God. He's above all gods. He's here today. He's for me, and he's for here for you. Give the Lord one more praise one more time before you sit down this morning. Go ahead. Lift up your hands before you sit down. Come on. It's been a long week. It's been a long two years. There's things weighing on you, and it's heavy. Go ahead and shake off those heavy bands. Come on. Can you do it this morning? There you go. Shake it off. We're in the house of the Lord. We're in his presence this morning. God is here to do something in you today. One more time, just give him praise. He's worth it. You may be seated. Hallelujah. I better let you rest. Too much excitement at once might cause a chain or two to break off of you. Then what are we going to do? Hallelujah. I'm ready. I think I can preach up in here right now. I think I got the right word for the right crowd. I feel faith rising up in here. Hallelujah. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians 10.5 to open with the scripture. It says this, casting down imaginations, every high thing exalts itself above the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Church, imaginations are formed by your thinking. And living in this stress-inducing environment we're currently living in, I want to tell you something. Imaginations are running wild. And most of us are imagining the worst. We're living in a time so many things are trying to exalt themselves above the knowledge of God to the point many are wanting even to try to cast out God. Our imaginations are pics of what we perceive things to be or to become. Imaginations spur our dreams. It's our minds responding to our thoughts. Good thoughts, good dreams. Evil thoughts, evil dreams. Good leads to a path of, of hope. Evil thoughts lead to a path of destruction. So to live in these times as a Christian, Paul tells us, cast down every evil imagination and bring every thought into the captivity and obedience of Christ. Then he goes on to say in Philippians 4 and 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things that are true, whatsoever things that are honest, whatsoever things that are just, whatsoever things that are pure, whatsoever things that are lovely, Whatsoever that things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise in this place, think on these things. Church, we got a stinking thinking problem. As I said last week, what we think and what we think of ourselves is so important right now. It's causing good people to go bad. It's causing people to lose hope. It ought not be happening in the body of Christ. If anybody got hope, it's got to be God's people. If anybody ought to have faith in these troubling times, it has to be God's people. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? In this hour of betrayal, how should we be acting as believers? We're going to talk about that today. I've titled this, The Betrayal is Over. Now, for my text today, Matthew 27, verse 3 through 5. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I betrayed innocent blood. What is it to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Father, I have submitted to be your messenger this morning. 
I ask that your anointing breaks the yoke this morning. I pray many receive this word and it resonates in their hearts, changing their minds of many. Thank you for the blessing prepared for your church. It's with thankful hearts we thank you for your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the account is of Judas' unbelievable actions. It's hard to imagine a man like Judas doing something like this, especially being Judas was one of the, Jesus, of the disciples chosen by Jesus. Yet he is the one who Jesus declared earlier would betray him. That's right. Even church folks can betray Jesus. When the religious leaders were ready to crucify Jesus, they offered a reward to the one who would lead them to his location. Judas, because of his own lust, did so. In his mind, he began to imagine what he could do with such a reward. His imagination was running wild. After all, Jesus had done, went and done for him. Anybody in here ever had an experience like that with a friend or a family member? They betrayed you, and you had those same sentiments. After all I've done for you. See, when it comes to betrayal, don't nobody know the effects of it any more than Jesus. And when it comes to how to handle being betrayed, no one's a better example how to than Jesus. So many people in the nation right now feel so betrayed. They've suffered an injustice by some of the closest people around them. I thought you were my sister. I thought you were my friend. After all I done, went and done for that child, for that man, for that woman. And this is how you're going to do me. It's hard to imagine people doing things like this to you. But people are imagining doing things like this to you. Jesus left the supper with Jesus. And he rushed to the chief priest and he asked, how much would you pay me for his location? At one moment, he imagined it. The next moment, he acted upon it. He should have cast it down. It was evil. They said 30 pieces of silver. He said, I'll take it. Judas, why? Satan used Judas' weakness to tempt him to be a part of his plan. Judas' participation shows the enemy doesn't work alone. He always looks for an accomplice, someone to carry out his plan while he waits in the dark, gloating as he exploits the weakness of man's flesh, putting enmity between man and God. See, Judas served as the treasure of the disciples. He had a love for money. And you'll soon learn he had a way of sticking to his fingers. When the woman rushed into the dinner party and broke her alabaster box, opened it up, and pulled out an expensive bottle of oil equal to years' wages and washed Jesus' feet, it was Judas who complained that it was a waste of money. John chapter 12, verse 6, exposes why Jesus said this. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to keep himself to himself what was put into it. Sounds like Judas had quite a reputation. We discover in Matthew 26 that when Judas goes to the publicans, he asks, how much will you give me to, get, to give him up? That generates a very valid question this morning. At what price would you give him up? It was such an unnecessary evil. His sinful practices were being driven by evil imagination, never realizing at this point he was being used by Satan. How many think just because you're a Christian, you can't have bad thoughts? Let me help you. We all do. The problem is when you act upon them. It becomes sin once it's conceived, once it's carried out. It's one thing to be singing Amazing Grace, and out of the blue, Ruby pops up in your mind. You ain't nothing to do with that girl for 20 years. Where'd that come from? Satan. He's the accuser. It ain't a problem as you cast it down and say, not today, Satan. But it's another thing if you tell your wife, excuse me, I got to go make a quick phone call. Do it. 
and I'll have a funeral to officiate on Monday. It's one thing for Judas to think it. It was another for him to act upon it like he did. He was snared by the sin of greed. Satan knows all of our weaknesses. Sin only has pleasure for a season. In the beginning, it fascinates. In the end, it assassinates. Now, let's follow the story and see what I mean. After he got his money, upon Judas seeing them arrest Jesus, verse 3 says, Judas was seized with remorse. And he went to return the 30 pieces of silver back to the priest, telling them, I've made a mistake. I've sinned. I betrayed innocent blood. And they replied, what is it to us? That's your responsibility. Do you know on Judgment Day, every single one of us is going to stand accountable for our own actions and give an account? They were saying, in other words, you should have thought about that before you sold them out. That's on you. We got no need of you anymore. They wouldn't even take the money. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left responsible for his actions. Just because he gave the money back doesn't mean he was no longer responsible for what he did. There were still consequences for his actions. You rob a bank and you get to feeling bad about it, just because you give the money back don't mean you're no longer responsible for what you did. Doesn't mean you still ain't going to jail. The conviction drove Judas mad and he hung himself. Judas became just another puppet in Satan's plot and pattern of exploiting weak souls and getting them to do his dirty work. Then spitting them out to defend for themselves after he's done with them. Because Jesus didn't cast down his imagination, it led him to an evil practice. Now let me preach to those on the other side of this fence who have felt betrayal. I've come to preach a sermon that will serve as a letter of notice from God to your enemies for you. I'm talking to all of you. I've come to serve notice to your enemy that has attacked you and has even attacked me that has caused people to lie on you, that has destroyed your family, that's disgraced your ministry, that's caused your best friend to betray you, that's ruined your reputations, that's left, led your children astray, that's sold you out. I'm serving him notice today. You're going to have to pay me back. Devil, you're going to have to give me back everything you stole from me. I ain't as young and dumb nor stupid as I once was anymore about who it was that attacked me. I know Satan. It was you. You were behind every plot against me. You used some of the closest people to me to do your dirty work. But today, I'm not as vulnerable and as gullible as I once was. You fooled me for a while. I blamed my mama. I blamed my daddy. I blamed my childhood. I blamed my spouse. I blamed my job. I blamed God. And yes, I even blamed myself. But I found out all along it was you. And I'm coming for you, and I'm bringing God with me. I'm coming to your camp, and you're going to give me back my stuff today. You're going to give me back everything your betrayal stole from me. My joy, my strength, my family, my children. Come on, somebody needs to preach this with me here. You're going to give him back my career. You're going to give him back my ministry. I'm speaking to your enemy for you today. Ain't you going to stand up with me? Come on, church. You better grab your stuff too while I'm getting mild. I'll even help you carry your stuff back because today, devil, you are under my feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Give God praise this morning. Hallelujah. Everybody's mad at the world. 
Everybody's angry with each other, blaming each other, betraying each other. You make me sick. I can't stand to look at you. What did I do? I don't know. I just can't stand to look at you no more. You're mad at your bosses. You're mad at the church. You're mad at God. But I don't hear nobody saying, I'm mad at the devil. Man, I'm just flat out tired of him getting away with his bait and switch plan. I'm just so ready to snatch him out from behind that curtain and reveal to every the world he's the real instigator of all this mess. So that you and I and our brothers and our sisters and our families in this church can get along again. I come to tell some folks, get ready for restitution to come your way. The people who done you wrong thought they got away with it and going to have to pay for it. God's fixing to set some things back in order. Don't be surprised when people who done you wrong finally call and say they're sorry. Don't be surprised when people who owed you money you thought would never pay you show up to pay you. Don't be surprised when people who done you wrong finally admit it. God's fixing to make them see it's their responsibility. And God's going to speak to some hearts in here today and remind you it's your responsibility to go make things right with some folks. I believe after this message today, somebody's going to need to call their mama. Somebody's going to need to call their daddy. Somebody's going to need to call their daughter. Somebody's going to need to call their sister and take full responsibility for your actions and make things right. Hallelujah. I remember shortly after I got saved, God required me to go make some things right with some people. It was my responsibility. I can still remember today, 25 years old, just after getting saved. I played music for 25 years, and there was this girl, a friend of Joyce's, that used to come in here and play music. She didn't come no more. We ran into her one day. I said, what happened to you, girl? She said, I went into the church, and I got saved. Oh, okay. You want them holy rollers now, are you? And I mocked at her. Well, after I got saved, guess what? God said, you got a phone call to make. And I called her up that day. I said, hello. And she said, hey. I said, I got to call you and tell you I am sorry, and I got to apologize to you. For what? For calling you a holy roller. Well, why? Because I'm a holy roller too now. <laughs> and I had to make things right. You got to make things right with people. God will see to it. They, they pay for it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You just got to forgive and move on and live on. Forgiveness isn't to let your enemy off the hook. It lets you off the hook. It keeps you from being hooked by the enemy's plan to bind you. There are people who have lived in misery for 20 years for what somebody did to you 20 years ago, and it ought not be. You're going to have to stop being bitter if you ever want to get better. I'm here to serve notice to every evil scheme, every evil plan, every evil political plot instigated by the spirits of this age, carried out by the blinded far left to destroy this godly nation. I serve notice to you. That's right, I do. Whoever would have thought that this notice would come out of a little old redneck church in Missouri and by a no-name preacher like me, but it can because it's not about me, it's about thee. So by the authority of Jesus Christ, I declare to you, devil, you're going to have to pay it all back to us for what you've done to our great nation and what you you've done to our church because the God of restoration is going to restore his nation and the daughter of Zion is going to rule this nation again and to the ones that have been used to carry out the enemy's plot against this godly nation when their assignments canceled out when it's all backfired they will pay for what they've done they will remain responsible they will give it back and be punished for the sins against God's anointed against innocent blood they will have themselves a Judas moment that ought to make any church shout this morning. 
It will be their responsibility. It will be on their shoulders. The blood will be on their hands. They will stand accountable. Church, payday is coming. When God will right every wrong, God says, touch not my anointed. I wish I had something to preach this morning that would get, that would get just get more than a normal response, but would make the church stand up and let out a war cry, followed by a victory shout right about now to let the know the devil know, I'm coming after my stuff this morning. Okay, okay. I get it. Some of you ain't feeling like I am yet. Now, let me carry on, see if I can't persuade you to believe you can get your stuff too. In 1985, a novel written by Alice Walker's was turned into a movie, which has now become a classic entitled The Color Purple. Most of us are familiar with it, probably watched it. It's a story about the journey of a young lady named Seely, who was raised by an abusive father, who pimps her out into a marriage to a very mean man, simply known as Mr. He, too, abuses her, mangles her mind, breaks her heart, but he's never able to quite crush her spirit, leading her to one day to conclude enough was enough. You done taken everything I got? I ain't got nothing left to lose. She grabs a knife, points it to, to Mr.'s throat, and says, until you do right by me, everything you think will crumble as to curse him. Mr. responds saying, who do you think you are? You can't curse nobody. Look at you. You are black. You're poor. You're ugly. You're a woman. You're nothing. But Celie answers back, I said unto you, do you, until you do me right by everything you even think is going to fall for you. She wasn't going to let her enemy walk on her again. During this struggle, when he repeated the lies to her that always made her cower down, this time it didn't work when he tried to tear her down. This time it wasn't going to happen. The power to do it was gone. She had done made up her mind she wasn't going to believe his lies again, and she stood toe-to-toe. -to -toe. She had re reassessed her self-worth, and all what she had been through, the only thing couldn't crush her was her spirit because God had spoken the truth to her. There's so many people have been crushed and believed your enemy's lies. They need to have a silly moment. You ain't got nothing else to lose, but you've got a lot to gain, child. I want you to focus on her consistent determination to break the curse of her thinking. How did she do it? She cast down every evil imagination and every high thing that exalted itself above God. She had to stop believing everything her enemy said and start believing what God said. She had to reimagine her, her imagination. She had to feed her mind with positive thoughts. Every time another lie would come to attack her, her self-esteem, she would say, not today, Satan. And so many people are so beat down, they can't imagine anything good, anything good ever happening to them again. They can't imagine them having a good man. They can't imagine themselves going to college. They can't imagine them getting a better job. They can't imagine them being chosen. They can't imagine themselves being sober. They can't imagine themselves living in a better house. They can't imagine themselves being loved. They can't imagine themselves being a part of the church, being forgiven. All you can imagine is being stuck and bound. You quit dreaming because you allowed what you heard dictate to you, your self-worth, allowed your environment, your surroundings to become very you need you never believed you could break and was never encouraged to break them well i haven't come too late to tell you you can still get up out of that grave come on somebody come on get up out of that grave get up out of that grave come on 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 get up out of that grave come on
It ain't too late. Today's the day. Hallelujah. I don't care how deep it is. It's time to cast down the evil imagination. It's time to imagine and dream again. It's time for your spirit to come alive again. It's time to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And look your enemy in the face and say, today's a new day. Well, mister said, I can't. Yeah. But Jesus, the master, says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's time to start dreaming and imagining yourself being somewhere other than where you've always been. As I spoke last week, don't be gaslighted, led to believe something that isn't true. When there's something deep down in your spirit telling you you're more, the devil is a liar. I've come to tell people to start dreaming again, to start imagining yourself being somebody they said you couldn't be, doing something they said you couldn't do. Because God wants to impregnate your imagination and cause a manifestation to be birthed out of your life, giving you a purpose to live. We've all been living way too far beneath our privileges as a child of God. We are the head and we are not the tail. We have just about let this pandemic charade do us in, set us down, and shut our mouths. The virus is real, but the lies are infectiously trying to stifle the church. And I say enough's enough. We're giving way too much stuff away. The liberals are politicizing, but they're not the only ones. So is the devil. Devil, there is a payday coming, and this sleeping giant is about to roar. And I can only imagine what it's going to be like when we get our stuff back. It's time to dream again, church. It's time to quit putting everything on hold, sitting and waiting to see what happens next, when we should be, when we should be making what happens next happen. We are the church of the living God. Yet we are in a rut, and a rut's nothing more than a shallow grave. Has anybody in here been imagining a better year this year? Anybody? If you have, then God, give God glory for what you're about to see in your family, in your ministry, in your children. Celie was cursing her enemy's imagination. He had placed on her. She didn't cast it down. She was already imagining a better life for herself. She was already beginning to imagine herself in a better place in life. She was letting her enemy know, everything you even think about doing to me, I curse it. There's life and death in the tongue. It can speak blessing or cursing. She was cursing her enemy that day. She was serving notice it's over. I'm choosing this day to be an overcomer. Today, I curse every enemy that has spoken negativity about your character, about your integrity, about your personality, that has lied on you, abused you, mistreated you, manipulated you. I curse their imagination over you in the name of Jesus. And I break every assignment that's been planned and plotted against you. Every snare, every trap shall be canceled. I curse your enemy and anyone who participates in this attempted destruction of you who does not want you to flourish in the will of God. And I bless you, though. I bless your imagination with blessings and honor, with dreams and visions and celebrations of victories. And this year of restitution, it's payday for the body of Christ. And devil, you're going to pay us dearly. 
I'm trying to get the glory train back on the track this morning, church. Hallelujah. We've lost some valuable time. But God says, don't worry. Be happy. We'll be more productive than we've ever been. Randy, Randy, <laughs> you're preaching this at a time when everything's shut down. Mandates, pandemic, economic woes, the worst spiritual drought ever. Yep. So, Noah built an ark during the worst drought in history. It had never even rained a drop prior to him believing it would. Mock me if you want to, but I'm like Noah today. I don't care how dry it is right now. I'm sorry you can't imagine it being any different, but I believe and I imagine it's fixing to rain. Sit there and do nothing if you don't want to, but I got work to do because I imagine a great flood of God's Spirit coming down before the end of this thing and not to destroy the people, but to save the people this time before the end of the world. Give God praise in this place. Glory, glory. Whew. My, 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 my. Whew. It's time to dream again, church. It's time to quit letting people kill your dreams. It's time to cut yourself loose from the dream killers. People have attacked you because of their evil hearts, thought it was necessary, seen you as prey, seen you as vulnerable as a casualty of war, as a roadblock to them, as a burden to their evil agenda. They tear others down to build themselves up. They're driven by power and control. They're driven by evil minds that have evil imaginations that include using you. They really don't like you. They really don't have your best interest in mind. They'll just will use you and abuse you and spit you out when they're through. And many of us have fallen victim to these schemes and plans at different points of our lives. They continue to practice for years, gaining wealth and fame and popularity for themselves at someone else's expenses until one day they meet the one, the one who says, not today, Satan. You done picked on the wrong one. What they wanted to do to you was unwarranted, but they didn't know because you're anointed you come with a warranty that what they intended for evil against you, God going to work it out for your good. That no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And your enemy's going to pay for his or her mistake. Hallelujah. Woo. This is how you know you're anointed and appointed. Because when there was some people who set out to break you, to do you harm, to destroy your character, it backfired against them. And here you are in church, and you're not bitter, you're not vindictive, you're an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the words of your testimony. Hallelujah. I know what it's like to be attacked. I've had many attacks on my life, many plots against me. Let me share one with you, though. I'll share even one testimony of mine. How the enemy plotted against me, wanted to take me out. About five years ago, a man who managed a car dealership 
was in this town was part of a plot by an enemy to attack me. I'm an avid proponent of integrity and having character. And these were the very things were attacked in my life. And I want to say right here from the beginning, I had never stepped a foot in this car dealership. Church got an email from the manager of this car dealership when something like this. Why in the world would you have an associate pastor like Randy West who's been into three of my car dealerships in the last month, rude, cursing, throwing a fit, driving off mad. I wouldn't think you'd have somebody like that in your church. <laughs> I got the email. When I got it, I thought, what in the world? This man's crazy. I ain't never been to that place. What, what's going on here? I found out who it was, so I picked up the phone. I said, this is Randy West. Yes, yes, yes. Been trying to get a hold of you. I said, I see that. Uh, what for? Well, for how you've been doing, coming into our car leaderships, causing all this trouble. Been the two of them up north. And you've been, now you're hearing Popper Bluff going this one, doing this stuff. I said, sir, I don't know who you're talking about, but I can tell you that ain't me. Oh, yeah? I said, no, I said, I've never been in your car dealership. I don't need a car. Why well, I didn't even come to your dealership. He said, well, you was here yesterday, the other day. I said, no, I wasn't. He said, uh, he said, have you got a picture of you? I said, yeah, I sure do. Can you send it to me? I said, sure. I immediately sent that picture. After I sent the picture, I kind of noticed his uh, countenance changed a little bit. He said, well, I tell you what, can you uh, come by here and we can try to work this out? I'll be there in five minutes. He said, well, no, not today. He said, can you come to one more fix and close the shop? I said, yeah, I'll be there. I guarantee you I'll be there. You be there. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be truthful. There was some stuff riling up in me. I was not a happy camper. I called the pastor. I said, Pastor, guess what? And I explained to him what all happens. This man says I've been in his dealership, not one, but three of them, cussing, having fits, and, and showing out in front of them. I said, uh, what? I said, yeah, that's what he said. I said, so I'm going there tomorrow morning. They opened at 8. I'm going to be there 15 8. I want you to go with me. Two reasons. I want you to be my witness. Second one, I want you to bring bell money. So we get up that morning, and we go there, and we're there 15 minutes early. I walk in the door. He's at that hallway. I'm at this hallway, and he starts to shout, you ain't the one. It ain't you. I, I don't understand it. It ain't you. I said, I know it ain't me, but I'm Randy West. How can this be? Come in my office, you guys. Come in, come in. We've got to figure this out. I said, oh, yeah, we do. So we sat down there. I had prayed the night, all night. night before. God, what did I do? God, I'm mad. I'm angry. And God spoke to me. He said, you go in there, and you be the man you are. 
He's attacking your character and your integrity, but I want you to go in there with character and integrity. He said, and make, let me make things right. Because I knew there had to be some kind of misunderstanding. So I sat there, I said, why? First, I got questions. He goes, well, what is it? He said, I'm so sorry. I, I, what do I got to do to make things right? I said, you see that 2012 vehicle? No. <laughs> it didn't go like that. But I said, well, what did, how did you come up with my name? He says, because when people come in to drive a car, they got to fill up this little card. And it said, Randy West. I said, really? I said, I'd like to see that card. He said, okay. He was digging up. And uh, he said, well, what can I do to make this right? I said, well, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to sit down and you're going to write a confession of what you've done. I thought, this is where I probably hit a wall. I mean, I had the thoughts. Sue him, whatever you need to do, you know, whatever. But you know what? Didn't have to even think those things more because after I said that, he said, okay, I'll do it. The man sat there in front of me and the pastor, and he wrote, I confess that I falsely accused Randy West of a mistaken identity. I thought he was the one, but he's not the one. And I'm so sorry, Mr. West. I've got the letter right here. I'm keeping it. He said, I sat down with Randy West, and he's a very understanding gentleman and represents himself well, is what he wrote. And he wrote the letter and gave it to me. I said, I want you to sign your name to it. Okay. So he signed his name to it. But I said, I said, but why did you think it was me? I mean, why do you think the church, why? He said, well, I got a guy who works here. He said, when I mentioned your name, he said, I know him. He works down at the church. So I assumed it was you. I said, well, it's not. He said, I can see that now. I said, I'll be sure and tell him it's not. Oh, I will. And uh, we talked for a little while. And uh, we got done. He said, uh, uh, I've made a grave mistake. I said, yes, sir, you have. And I said, hopefully in the future, before you start assuming somebody is somebody, please don't ever do this again. So I leave there. It's just like you still got this feeling, though, okay. He apologized. He said he's sorry. It's all cleared up. I've been vindicated. It's not me and stuff. But, man, shouldn't something else happen here? Randy, let it go. So I let it go. Next day, the phone rings. I says, hey, this is me. just want to let you know we found the guy. There is another Randy West. He lives up around Farmington, and we found out who he is. And once again, I just want to say I'm sorry. I said, okay, thank you. But here I'm thinking, man, gosh, I do really get off the hook. But I couldn't do nothing. I wasn't going to do nothing. I was just going to let God handle it. And he did. I got a phone call about 45 days later. Hey, Randy, someone who knew what had happened. Hey, Randy, just drove by that dealership. That didn't close the door. They're out of business. Touch not God's anointed. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I did the right thing. I made things right. And God took care of the rest. And so many times in our hour of being betrayed and being bitter and wanting to be vindictive and lash back out at things, sometimes you just got to forgive it, forget it, and move on. And God will take care of the rest. I want to tell you, though, when you slander me, my name or my integrity, those are fighting words. I did stand toe-to-toe, -to -toe, but I kept my composure and my character 
and I represented the Lord the right way that day. I ain't bitter. I'm not vindictive about it. I've been vindicated, and I got a testimony that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Judas was an example of unnecessary evil. There are people who've been in your life or in your life when they've practiced unnecessary evil against you. They've lied to your face. They didn't know you would have forgiven them if they just would have told you the truth. They cheated on you. Even when you never with even when you never had even withheld affection. They stabbed you in your back, even when you've been more generous to them than ever. You've been burnt many times, been taken advantage of on more than one occasion. So now you're guarded. Matthew 27, the first thing in the morning, they come to get Jesus. And they put a loving Lord in handcuffs. Can you see anything wrong about that picture? That's the way, same way, though, that the Lord sees you. When he sees you're anointed and appointed, and yet you sit bound by your enemy, been betrayed, you're all stressed out, and you're struggling to get by, you're oppressed and depressed. When he died on a cross to set you free, shed his blood to redeem you, and you're losing your sanctification because the car won't start, because the child got a bad report card, because the boss made you work overtime, because no one invited you to the party, ought to not be. God's got plans for the church in this hour and doesn't want to see us bound by, by the stuff. He, don't, he wants to see us abounding. When Judas saw Jesus being arrested, he got convicted. That's why some people that have done you wrong been avoiding you, can't face you. They can't look you in the eye because they know what they did to you. What's crazy in some situations, they don't think you even know you did it to them. I've come today to say, church, though, it's time to move past the betrayal. I want my musicians to come, please. It's time for us to move on. We've had a lot come against us in these last few years. We've had a lot come against us by people close to you. But it's time to move on. We cannot sit here and be bitter and be vindictive and have grudges and hold things against people. We've got to learn this thing called forgiveness and let people go. Let it go. We've been called for such a time as this. And it's time to forgive for those who betrayed you. It's time to overcome, to let go. God's got a plan, church. It's payday. And God says, vengeance is mine. It's time to get your stuff back. It's time to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with your enemy and say, not today, Satan. I curse your plans to curse me. I will not be a pawn or a participator in your evil schemes against anyone. I will cast down every evil imagination, everything that exalts itself against God. Judas paid for his evil imagination. Something else significant happened that day, though. Would you stand with me? I don't want us to miss this. I think it was significant. I hadn't caught this before in his scripture. In verse 5, here's Judas. He tried to give the money back to the elders who gave it to him, but they wouldn't accept it. So look what Judas did. He says he threw the money. 
the cursed money into the church. That's got to be significant. Then it hit me. Proverbs 13, 21 through 22. Evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. There it is, church. It's payday for the church. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the church. Jesus, Judas paid it back to the church, and God seeks to make our enemies pay us back. It's time to go get your stuff. I don't know what you've lost. I'm going to have them sing, and in just a minute, I'm going to call the church to this altar to come and get your stuff back today. It's time to get your health back. It's time to get your family back. It's time to get your mind back. It's time to get your joy back. It's time to get your strength back. It's time to say enough is enough. Come on, church. It's payday. It's time to come and tell you, Amy, you're going to pay me back for those days of worry. You're going to pay me back for losing sleep. You're going to pay me back for those lies you told me. You're going to give me back my children. You're going to give me back my finances. You're going to give me back my marriage. You're going to pay me. I ain't blaming nobody else anymore but you because I'm going to get better and I'm no longer going to be bitter. You got to let it go. Hallelujah.